so he took the children in his arms and he blessed them. It remains one of the most poignant of images, that of children running to a trusted adult to be swept up in their arms. Take a moment to imagine the scene. Maybe just as you sit, uh, close your eyes. Imagine that, uh, that Bible scene, Jesus. We imagine him seated. We imagine the children gathering round and running. They knew instinctively that that was a safe place to be, that Jesus is a safe person to be with. In your mind's eye, savour the scene. See yourself within it. Notice either the closeness between yourself and Jesus or the distance between yourself and Jesus. And we'll come back to that scene as we continue. I have to say, it was one of my favourite things when I was a father of young children uh, to have them just pile into my arms like that. Uh, it's much harder now. <laughs> my, my children are in their 20s. They're all taller than me. Uh, I think I need to run into their arms instead. Sometimes, sometimes distance builds up. Uh, I haven't been able to hug any of my children this morning. In fact, uh, the, uh, the contact that I've had with my eldest son was a, was a WhatsApp message that came through as we were setting off for church this morning saying, hi, hope everyone's having a good time. We're currently in the middle of the Gulf of Finland, part of the Baltic Sea on our way to Helsinki. So uh, we can't run into each other's arms this morning, but we can still feel a closeness to each other because of the wonders of modern technology. But we mustn't let the, the way we can feel in contact from afar replace the value of uh, actual contact. And we see it each week here at All Saints. It's not just something for parents, but before and after our services. Uh, it's parents, it's surrogate parents and grandparents and aunts and surrogate aunts and uncles engaging with the younger members of our church family here. And I was struck as I saw the, the paper review on the TV this morning that I think every single paper this morning has got this image of uh, Diana and Harry, which they've published, previously unpublished photos, where there's a, a mother's arms embracing her young child. It's a truly inspiring image of closeness. We often use that story of, the, of Jesus welcoming the children um, to make a connection between just Jesus and the children. Indeed, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had a, a dedication service here for Adelia and Kimberly, and that was referenced in that service. Uh, and that's appropriate. But the story is more than 
a cosy image for understanding the welcome that Jesus gives to our children. It includes, but it also goes beyond that to offer the most amazing invitation to all of us, that Jesus wants each of us to inhabit that close relational space on his lap, on his knee, in his arms. It's so important that the disciples get this, that Jesus actually gets quite angry. Indignant was the word in the translation we heard this morning. Indignant that they get it wrong. And part of that anger, I think, is because Jesus didn't want anything to get in the way of the children coming to Jesus. But part of that anger was that Jesus didn't want to get anything in the way of the disciples understanding that they needed to be like the children coming to Jesus, that we need to be like the children coming to Jesus. Jesus is saying, this is how I want to relate to you too. So if you can't get it for the kids, you're never going to get it for yourselves. This childlike, not childish, desire to come to me as you are and to be taken up into my arms is how I want you to be with me. I want you to have the freedom to run to me, to be swallowed up in my love. Indeed, that's one way of understanding what belonging in the kingdom looks like. I'm using this story of invited intimacy as a way in to the first in a new part of our yearly series that we've been doing for visitors here. Uh, we've been doing a thing called the Year of Biblical Literacy. Uh, we've just been spending a, a whole year getting deeper into the Bible and we've looked at different individual books, we've looked at different types of literature, we've looked at how the whole salvation story fits together in different acts, we've looked at some of our questions about the hard bits of the Bible and for this summer series uh, we've got a, a, a few weeks called Threads where we can pick out a topic that just runs like a thread woven throughout the whole of Scripture. So there'll be a different topic for each week. So if you're here just for today, you get a whole topic in one go. Um, and that's fine. And the next one will be next week. But it, there will be things that just weave their way through the whole of Scripture. And as I was thinking about what I would choose as, as the thread that runs through the Bible, given the opportunity to start this off today, I sensed that God wanted me to speak on intimacy intimacy. Last week we had an amazing talk from a young guy called uh, Jonathan McCreary. If you, if you weren't here last week, please do go back and, uh, and click on the link on our website and listen to that talk. It was amazing and it was partly inspired by a, a sense of prophetic word that Jonathan had for us as a church. Um, and we will be sharing that. Rich is going to send that out to the whole church congregation um, at some point, but it included things that feed into today. It included a phrase uh, about uh, how God wanted us to, to go on being formed within ourselves. And I heard there something about inner formation, how we are with God deep down inside. Maybe I partly heard about that because that's my kind of thing. That's what I, I'm passionate about. That's what I, I spend my time working on with myself and with other people. And it also included this promise. It spoke of God's promise, seek me and I will revive the breathlessness 
in your lungs. And it's great that in the worship songs that Paul chose this morning, there's been a lot about the breath of God, and we, we didn't plan that. The, the Holy Spirit, who is the breath of God, planned that for us and with us. Seek me, and I will revive the breathlessness in your lungs. And that's like God's reminded invitation to us. Just keep on. Keep on seeking. Keep on getting closer and closer and closer. God's desire for us to know him as intimately as he already knows us is a thread that we find woven throughout scripture. So we're going to take a walk through. Don't panic too much because we're going to we're going to dwell quite a bit near the beginning and I won't be able to give as much time to all the rest of it as I do at the beginning but if we're like three quarters of an hour in and we're still in Genesis don't panic we will get to Revelation <laughs> but we're not necessarily with the same amount given to each bit but the starting point is so important that we do dwell there for a little bit so yeah Genesis 1 26 God says let us let us make humans in our image in our likeness the original motivation for God's creative act was to invite us into something which already existed sometimes people who are searching for the faith say well what was God doing before he created everything uh, and it's, a, it's, it's not a silly question, it's a fair question, but there's an answer to it. God was being God and living in relationship and developing intimacy within the Trinity for all eternity. And then he said, I want people to join in with this, because this is so good. Let's have more involved in this. The theology of the Trinity is one of those things that's implicit in Scripture, rather than explicit. You won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. But you'll see lots of stuff that hints at Father, Son, and Spirit being one together. And the very first hint we get is in that phrase, let us make humans in our image to be like us. There's lots of plurals in there. And one of the things that distinguishes the, the Christian creation story from the other stories around the same time, which are similar in lots of ways, but different in this respect, because the Christian story has a God who wants to be in intimate relationship with his people, not to have, like, minions to be controlled, but uh, people like him who he can relate to. That's special. That's distinctive. Don't forget that. Don't miss that in our day-to-day -day lives. And over time, God's people have reflected deeply on the nature of this relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit and have come up with possibly my favourite Greek word. You don't get lots of Greek from me in my preaching, at least not explicitly. Sometimes it's there implicitly. But my favourite Greek word is the word that describes how that relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit works. And it's the word perichoresis. It's my favourite Greek word. You may not have heard it before. You might have heard it from me before. Uh, should we learn a Greek word together this morning? Let's all say perichoresis. It's not a Harry Potter spell. <laughs> it's a Greek word. Don't worry about the Greek if, if that isn't your thing. 
but it's a lovely word. It doesn't translate directly into English, like lots of Greek words, um, but it's the one from which our word choreography comes from, and we're quite into dance these days with Strictly and all that stuff, dancing with the stars. We like our dancing these days. Well, choreography is behind the perichoresis. You can hear the, the choreography bit in there. It's about the art of creating a beautiful dance. And one way of understanding how God relates as Father, Son, and Spirit is through a perfect set of ever-moving and beautifully choreographed relationships of mutually interdependent and self-giving love. It's quite a long sentence, so I'll say it again. One way of understanding how God relates as Father, Son, and Spirit is through a perfect set of ever-moving and beautifully choreographed relationships of mutually interdependent and self-giving love. This dance of love is not just what they do, it's who they are. It's who God is, being and doing. And that's good, but it gets better because here's where our, our invitation to intimacy comes in. The relationship of intimacy within the Trinity is not turned into ourselves with us trying to cut in on the dance. don't know whether that image means anything. Have you ever been, you know, at one of these dances and someone's with the person that you want to dance with and you've either got to sit on the edge feeling a little bit left out or you've got to cut in and exclude them. It's not that kind of dance. It's the sort of dance where we can all join in together. And I was trying to come up with... Um, an image for this, and, and my first thought was, um, it's not strictly, it's barn dancing. Because, <laughs> you know, barn dancing, everyone can join in, but then I thought, yeah, but barn dancing doesn't really have that sense of intimacy and closeness. It's a kind of romp, and it's great fun. And it, it does illustrate the fact that everyone can join in and switch partners and so on. And I thought back to a memory from I don't know, 10 years ago uh, or so, when Viv and I and Wendy and John went to dance classes together in Northwick School, and we did a thing called Salsa Rueda. Now, when I thought, not strictly, we want something a little bit more, actually, to be honest, a little bit more erotic than that, if we're allowed to use that word. I once talked about passion in church with a, with a very correct church, passion in, in, uh, in prayer, with a very correct group of people, I think at a, a deanery synod somewhere. Um, and I asked people to think about what increased their passion in prayer and what decreased their passion in prayer. And I got them to feed back to me. And one lovely lady took the question very seriously and she said, well, I can tell you what makes me pray more. It's this, this, and this. But I wouldn't use the word passion. <laughs> So I don't know how she'd cope with the word erotic, but I wanted something <laughs> that was about intimacy of relationship. And so I, salsa I thought about, but that's two people dancing closely together with closely choreographed moves. Salsa Rueda is like a cross between barn dancing and salsa. You do all the salsa moves, which I can't remember anymore. I did think about getting John and Wendy up the front <laughs> with me and Viv. We're not going to inflict that on you. But you do all the close salsa moves, but you do it in a circle. I think that's what the Rueda bit might mean in Spanish, probably. 
Um, but, and you change partners all the time. There's little, little signals where you suddenly, you're with a different partner. And then you end up going somewhere completely different. But it's all, everyone's supposed to know what everyone's doing. And actually, there's a caller who just keeps you in sync with each other. It's great fun. I, I recommend it. But it's a beautiful picture of the invitation into the dance, which the dance of the Trinity invites us into. There's room in the dance for us all to join in. It's a lovely picture. If you prefer, I, I have to say, even though I've used a dance illustration with great enthusiasm, uh, I'm not a great dancer. <laughs> that was the only dance class I've ever done. I did enjoy it. But if, you prefer, if you're like me, you prefer the image of eating to dancing. Look at this image. This image uh, is of the very famous 15th century icon of the Trinity by a guy called Rublev. Um, and it's probably the most famous icon amongst all the iconography that exists. And it's seen to be, on one level, it's a picture of the angels meeting with Abraham when they come to tell him that he's going to have uh, a son. But people see in it, because the three angels visit, they see it as a picture, and it, it's, the icon is designed as a picture of the Trinity. Uh, and each of them is sat around the table together, ready to eat the meal that Abraham has prepared for them. People have noticed that the line of their bodies, as you, you can draw a circle round, makes a perfect circle if you draw round the line of their bodies. Each of their faces is turned towards the other. So for none of them is it about themselves. They're all looking. If you can't see the image that clearly on the screens today, just go home and, and Google Rublev, Rublev's Trinity. Probably if you just Google Trinity icon, this will be the first hit that you get. So don't worry about the names again. Each face looking towards the other. But the way they're sat around the table is that they haven't filled all the spaces. There's an empty space at our side of the table, and there's space for come, us to come and sit down with them and join in. So here's another lovely picture. Not just a dance which we can join in with, but a table set with food, and the, actually it looks a little bit like a communion table. There's space for us to join in at the table. Intimacy, not just as dance, but intimacy as fellowship, table fellowship and nourishment. We're still in Genesis. <laughs> when the creation story is retold in Genesis 3, it's a very hands-on exercise. The first human, Adam, Adama, is formed out of the clay of the earth. You have to touch clay if you're going to form it into an image. It's close, it's intimate, it's hands-on. And then the creator, we're back with the breath again now, the creator gives us life by breathing into our nostrils. This, I could get you to do this exercise with each other, but I'm not going to. But can you imagine breathing into someone's nostrils without it being a fairly intimate encounter? In medical terms, in slang medical terms, we might call it the kiss of life. And that's what happened in Genesis chapter 3 when God breathed life in. He gave the kiss of life. It was an intimate act. Our prophetic word said something about seek me 
and I'll meet you in your breathlessness. God wants to keep on breathing new life into us. And as the story continues, we catch frequent signs of the thread of intimacy as it weaves in and out of Scripture. Adam and Eve get settled in the garden. But how does their life work out in that garden? The relationship with God continues. Each day begins, the Bible says in the eve of the day, but for a Jewish person that's the beginning of the day. As each day begins, God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And, and that for me is the intimacy of companionship. Hand in hand, walking through a garden maybe talking, maybe not talking, because that's okay. Being with, enjoying each other's company. So much so that when sin and guilt does come in, God misses them. And God calls out for them and says, where are you? And he's still saying, where are you today? And inviting us to come and recommence that walk which started in the garden. And the Old Testament is about recalling and renewing this relationship of intimacy. So we're going to start moving faster through the Bible now. A new start is made with Noah. A new family is made with Abraham. A new dynasty is made with David. Time and again, God reaches out to his people saying, come back to me. There's a dance I want you to join in with, a fellowship meal to enjoy, breath to receive, a walk to share. Time and again, they do come home. Time and again, they promptly drift off again their own way. And prophets were sent, one after the other, to speak out God's invitations to return. For some reason, as I've been praying, and even really before I'd started preparing this talk, um, a verse from Jeremiah 31 has been on my mind this week, and it, it's just inhabited my prayers where the Lord appears interestingly it says in the Bible the Lord appears from afar he's recognized there's distance between the people and him again the Lord appears from afar and says I have loved you with an everlasting love I have drawn you with unfailing kindness and you could sum up the Old Testament story you could sum up salvation history with that phrase I have God from afar and you can't get so far away that you can't hear this promise. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I have drawn, I am drawing you with unfailing kindness. And so the story continues and God uses images like marriage, which is another intimate relationship picture for his relationship with his people. He's the husband and we, the people, are the unfaithful partner. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. Intimacy will be celebrated at the great wedding banquet which is being prepared for us. The wisdom literature adds into this with things like the Song of Songs, which Rich preached on earlier on in the year. A rich and, again, erotic love poem celebrating and affirming the physical love between two lovers as well as indicating the closeness God wants to enjoy with us. The Psalms reveal this intimacy with moments when 
there's a lovely synchronicity of our desire for God matching his desire for us. So Psalm 63 verse 1 says, Oh God, you are my God. I long for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. There's a moment when the desire for intimacy with the God who is our God meets God's desire to to be in that relationship with us. Uh, And I don't know how often you pray Psalm 63, um, but there's a guy called John Chrysostom, who was like one of the early church leaders from around 350-ish, who said, um, this psalm should be prayed every day by every Christian. Psalm 63. Uh, No day should pass without the public singing of this psalm, said John Chrysostom. I think he was on to something. You don't have to sing it, but you could pray it from your heart. God tried to explain himself in multiple ways throughout his relationship with humanity, but ultimately he sent his son. New Testament arrived. Uh, Ultimately, he sent his son to perform the task. It says in, in John 1, no one has ever seen God. The only son who is truly God and is closest to the Father has shown us what God is like. Jesus became one of us so that we could see what God is like. Christ's actions throughout his ministry and life, the people he loved, the people he came against, showed God's heart every moment, every heartbeat, every step of the way. He is always drawing near. He's always reaching out. He's always restoring life and health and inviting relationship. Then through the showdown of the cross, God screams out, this is who I am, with his arms spread wide on the cross and his own breath being squeezed out of his lungs. And he says, this is what I will do to bring you to the place of intimacy which has always been and always will be my longing for you. And then God followed his son's coming with the sending of the Holy Spirit so that he could not just be with us but live within us, it says in John 14 verse 17. And under his inspiration, the apostles gave us more images to help us to further understand what God's desire for us is. Images like vines and branches close together. Images like the temple of the Holy Spirit filled with the presence of God. Images like the body of Christ where we're all connected to one another and Christ is the head of the body. Images like the bride of Christ. We started our thread at the beginning, and we could have picked up on lots more stuff along the way, Um, but let's skip to the end to find another image that's not that far from the children sitting on the knee of Jesus with which we started. In Revelation 21, 
we read, I heard a loud voice shout from the throne. God's home is now with his people. Uh, home, God, God, God will be so present with us that there will be no sense of where is God because we're in God's home in a way that we will never have previously experienced but which is hinted at by our encounters with him today. God's home is now with his people. He will live with them and they will be his own. Yes, God will make his home among his people and he will wipe all tears from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more suffering, no more crying, no more pain. The new heaven and the new earth is a place where God is at home with his people. There is no separation. There is no distance. And the intimate action of God is to draw near enough to wipe every tear from our eye. Again, you try and imagine that without it being uh, an action of closeness and intimacy. You've got to get close to wipe away the tears. You've got to get close to have your tears wiped away. It works both ways round. And so there we have the thread. Intimacy is one of the most beautiful of Bible threads. It's a place where intimacy is a place where full disclosure to be who you really are, not hiding, not pretending, is allowed. It's because it's a place where unwavering love and unfailing kindness hold sway. We're able to reveal ourselves to another and still be loved because it's a place where performance is not necessary and comparison has no place. How many people walk into church and spend their time wondering whether they're doing as well as the person sat next to them or in front of them or behind them? That's a place, that, that's something you, you don't need in this place of intimacy. Closeness with God grows and flourishes in the rich, fertile ground of love. So that's the thread, friends, that I have loved sharing with you this morning. Intimacy, intimacy existing. Intimacy offered intimacy restored when it goes wrong from the beginning intimacy pleaded for re-offered constantly available including here and now the intimacy of God's hand offered for formation of our lives like the potter moulding the clay the intimacy of God's breath giving life to our breathlessness, the kiss of life, the intimacy of God's presence, giving us companionship, someone whose hand we can hold on the journey, the intimacy of the dance, giving us something beautiful and fun to be part of, the intimacy of marriage, giving us uh, the image of a faithful and loving partner, whether we're married or single, the invitation to a meal, giving us fellowship and nourishment. 
the offer of water to quench our thirst, the offer of a hand to wipe away our tears. And so I've got a couple of questions just to throw at you uh, or hold before you. Throw at you sounds a little bit heavy, doesn't it? A couple of questions to hold out before you as we finish. But I'm going to invite you to stand as I ask you these questions and we can turn it into prayer. So I guess these are my questions. Just close your eyes. Remember that image we started with when I asked you to, to imagine the scene with Jesus and the children running round and to think about whether you could join in with the running round and the jumping on the lap or whether you saw yourself standing at a distance or far away? Here are my questions. Did you know that that's what God's invitation to you was? Not just to know him, but to know him intimately maybe you just needed reminding of that today think about in your own life when are you closest to God when are those moments when your sense of that intimacy is most real and if that's something that's hard for you to answer Make it your desire to find the ways in which you can hear and respond to this invitation. If you know where those places are, have you been there recently? And would you like to? Maybe now is one of those times. And just thinking again about that starting point Jesus was indignant he didn't want there to be anything to get in the way of his children which is us running to him so what is it this morning that is between you and Jesus between you and God Sometimes we, we think, I'll just sort out my anxiety first and then I'll be able to go to God. Well, why don't you take your anxiety with you and see how that anxiety feels when you're seated in Jesus' lap. or your fears. Even the stuff you've done wrong, the ways in which Jesus hasn't been at the centre, the things you've said, the things you've thought, the things you've done. You can come as you are to join in this dance. Bring your fear, bring your anxiety, bring your guilt bring your shame, bring the cares of this world, your addiction, 
your disappointment, your whole self. Bring your longings, your hopes, your desires, your passion, your love, your need. And as we stand here this morning, just maybe pick out the image that means most to you and uh, have your own one-to-one with God. Do you want to join in the dance? There's space in the circle. And someone will call out the moves. Do you want to sit at the table and uh, feast on a meal? Are things so desperate that you need the kiss of life because actually you weren't sure whether you were going to hang on in there and it's got that desperate? Is life quite ordinary at the moment, but to know that someone was walking alongside you, hand in hand, would make such a difference. Do you need a faithful lover? Do you need water in a dry land? Do you need to draw close enough for someone to start the process of wiping away those tears? Just spend a moment, one-to-one, saying to God, "This this is me. Thank you for your invitation. This is what I need. And I would just say, thank you, Lord, for your invitation. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you will do as people walk from here with you into the future. Amen.